0: Due to the poor audio quality of the original sermon, this is a rereading of the sermon manuscript. Deuteronomy 5:20, "And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That may be a great phrase for kids to remember on the playground: to not take others' words too seriously, but it certainly misses the mark, because words do major damage, and false words can kill. And while in the Proverbs, specifically Proverbs 26, 2, we do see the wisdom that a baseless curse is like a bird that flies over our heads and doesn't touch us, we also see from the Proverbs wisdom for how to be careful with our words and how to deal with the consequences when we or others are not careful with our words. As James tells us, the tongue is a little member of our body, but like a rudder, it can steer a large ship. And as a forest can be lit on fire by a small blaze, so our tongue, though a small member, can light our whole bodies on fire and is itself lit on fire by hell misusing our tongue is hell spilling over onto earth and we will see as we look at various texts the kind of tragedy our lies can cause now you may notice that this command is only explicitly against bearing false witness in the in the idea of a legal proceeding and it protects the integrity of court But as we have seen, the Ten Commandments are not meant to be interpreted in a merely strict way. We've seen Jesus open our eyes to the depth of the commandments, seeing how they get down to our very heart issues. Looking with lust is committing adultery in your heart. Being angry with your brother is just as deserving of the judgment as murder. And in the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commits us to not only keep from bearing false witness, he commands us to be truthful in all our speech. Matthew five thirty three 33-37, Jesus says, Again you have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So we see it is not just the negative command of do not lie, but also the positive command of telling the truth. And it's not only in a court of law, but all our words every day that Jesus tells us to be simply truthful. And as we consider this ninth commandment in light of Jesus' teaching, we will be looking at both the negative and the positive. First, what is forbidden by this commandment, the negative, and second what we are required to do by this commandment, the positive, after which we will consider the severity and consequences of the particular sin of disobeying this commandment. So first we turn to look at what is expressly forbidden. And right off the bat I will say, what is forbidden? We're going to have four categories. Lies, gossip, slander, and flattery. The first item forbidden, lies. Saying the opposite of what you know to be true. Now the first giving of the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus chapter 20. And as we're looking at the second giving in Deuteronomy 5, but at the first giving when the people of Israel are gathered around Mount Sinai and God himself speaks the Ten Commandments to them, Following chapter 20 of Exodus, we have further chapters of explanation and application. And in Exodus 23, verses 1-3, through we have a clear explanation of what is covered by the ninth commandment. There it reads, You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. We see making false reports, being a malicious witness, perverting justice, and being partial are lies in the strictest sense. So when you are asked whether or not something is the case, and you say the opposite of what you know to be true, you are lying. Say you get pulled over on the interstate and the officer asks you, do you know how fast you are going? You do know, because you've got your cruise control set to 83. And any answer other than yes is a lie. Or if your boss asks you about a project, how are those reports coming along? And you say, oh, I'm having no trouble at all with them. And well, of course you're having no trouble because you haven't even started on them yet. Saying anything other than what you know to be true is a lie. Secondly, gossip, making public what ought to remain private. In Proverbs 25 9 through 10, we read, Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. Notice that the rumors, the gossip, does not necessarily have to be outright lies. Rather, it is simply making public what ought to be left private that is the essence of gossip. Husbands, when you are angry with your wife, do you go to her and reconcile, or do you tell your friends at work or around the coffee table? Wives, same question to you. Do you keep confidences in your marriage Or does a disagreement turn into the talk of the whole town? If someone screws up at work, does everyone hear about it before clocking out? Parents, do you overshare about how hard your day was with the kids when you are out with your friends? Gossip is making public what ought to remain private. The third item is slander speaking malicious lies about someone else to their face. Now you know of David, king of Israel, how before he was king and Saul was king before him, when he was just a commander in Saul's army, he treated Saul with the utmost respect as the Lord's anointed king. Even though God had told David that he would be king, David waited patiently He did not take the matter into his own hands. He waited for the Lord to bring Saul's sins down upon his own head. And the Lord delivered the kingdom to David. Now David wasn't perfect, and he did sin grievously in other ways later on. And for his sin, he was forced to flee Jerusalem during the middle of his reign when his son tried to take the throne from him. And we have recorded in Second Samuel sixteen verses five through eight, David's flight from Jerusalem and the slander that he endured. It reads: When King David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men, who were at his right hand and on his left. And Shimei cursed as he. As he said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Now, David never raised a finger against Saul. Shimei's charges are completely baseless. And the fact that Shimei is alive to make those charges is proof that David is not a man of blood. He claims, Shimei claims that David killed Saul's house in order to gain the kingdom, but Shimei was of Saul's house. And so it was slander, outright lying, malicious slander, that Shimei was heaping upon David. Now, we are not used to this sort of confrontation. We much prefer to go behind someone's back with gossip than to slander them to their face. But just because we're less comfortable with one does not mean that we are better off for only committing the version of the sin that everyone is comfortable with. Both slander and gossip alike are condemned by this commandment. The fourth category, flattery, which is lying to puff up someone else's ego so they will do what you want. It almost seems a bit out of place to have flattery in this list, but flattery is just the flip side of slander. Speaking lies to someone's face, but rather than being malicious lies in the case of slander, these lies are designed to make the recipient feel good about himself. Flattery is lying in such a way as the person you're lying to feels good about themselves and about you for telling them such things. It's a way to orchestrate that people will do what you want if you lie to their face. In Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 8, we see the Apostle Paul put on trial before the Roman governor Felix, and his accusers are the high priest Ananias and Ananias' cronies in the Sanhedrin. Listen to how they make their case, how their address to Felix is full of flattery. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further. I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him everything which we accuse him of. Now the Jews hated and feared the Romans, but from this it sounds like their best friends. Ananias is among the same men who strong-armed Pilate into crucifying Jesus. He said, if you don't crucify this man, you are no friend of Caesar. And while their tactics of strong-arming Pilate with outright lies worked for him, it seems this other governor, Felix, they would rather flatter. But even though the tactics are different, they are no less despicable. Whether it be outright lies, gossip, slander, or flattery, all alike are condemned by this commandment. Now, gossip and flattery often go hand in hand. At work, you may gossip to your co-workers about how bad you think the boss is, but to his face, it's nothing but praise. How else are you supposed to get that promotion if you don't suck up to the boss? At home, you may tell your wife how incompetent he is, but when he asks you how he's doing, you give him five stars. Now that's the gist of the negatives, the things forbidden in the Ninth Commandment. Lies, gossip, slander, and flattery. But as we've seen so often, there's more to the commandments than what's forbidden. There's also what the commandments require. The Ninth Commandment requires us to defend the truth and defend our neighbor. Now, rather than take this section of texts separately, we're going to read them all at once and then look at each one individually. Because taken all together, we will see that the cause of truth must be defended by us when lies are spoken against it. We can't simply prevent ourselves from lying. We must speak up in truth. So in Leviticus five one, where we see this, if anyone sins that he hears public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Proverbs thirty one eight and nine reads, "Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy." In Proverbs 179 Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So now starting with the passage in Leviticus, we see that it is a sin to withhold your testimony on the truth of a matter when asked. Say you are a witness to a crime and the police start asking for witnesses to come forward. Now nobody knows you saw it but you did. But if you simply shrug off the call to come and testify, whatever reason you do, saying nothing is sin. Looking then to Proverbs 31, 8, and 9, we see that it is not only truth-telling necessary when authorities call you to testify, but you are required to speak up for the truth when the possibility of injustice arises. It says, open your mouth for the mute because the mute can't speak for themselves. Open your mouth, defend the rights of the poor and needy, because the poor and needy are not in a position to search out the best lawyer who can help. Your testimony may be all that stands between them and a false guilty verdict, whether that be in a court of law or just the court of public opinion. But finally, we see in Proverbs 17.9 that there are times when speaking for the truth requires us to keep our mouths shut. Maybe your neighbor borrowed your mower only to bring it back dented. But if you make the central talking point of every conversation for the next week, the fact that your neighbor dented your mower, it's not because you are so interested in the truth getting out to everyone. It's because you want your neighbor to be thought of by everyone else as poorly as you think of him. Which, if we're being honest, is only one incident and can hardly be said to be the whole truth about their character. So in this case, what you need to do is not blab and blather on about all of the offenses someone committed against you. So, We must speak up when lies are getting more traction than the truth. This is a crucial part of loving your neighbor. You cannot stand idly by when gossip, lies, slander, and flattery are taking place. If you are in a situation where someone is telling an outright falsehood, and you know they are doing that because you know what the truth is, then you must speak up. Lies are like a fast-growing weed. They have to be plucked up in the moment you see them or they will be filling your entire garden tomorrow. You also cannot allow gossip to continue in your presence. Just go ahead and call it out. If person A starts saying something to you, like, have you heard what person B is doing? Then just grab person A by the hand and walk them right over to person B. I had no idea. Let's go talk to her right now about it. I guarantee you'll only have to do that a few times before the gossipers leave you entirely out of their circle. Speak up for your neighbor when he is slandered. Imagine if you're in a work meeting, and it's been a long month working to complete a project. Five of you are on a team, and four of you are pulling your weight. And when the boss asks why you're behind, that fifth guy who has hardly done anything blames all the delays on you. Now, you might speak up in your own defense, but don't you hope that one of the other team members who has been carrying the weight too would speak up as well? So do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you hear your neighbor being slandered, speak up in his defense. And then finally, with flattery, the one that we may not think is too terrible of a sin. But David himself in Psalm 12 prays to the Lord, and he says, Lord, cut off all flattering lips. Just be truthful. You don't have to be mean. But you also don't have to flatter. You can tell the straight truth and not flatter your hearer. Don't edge around the truth so much that it becomes a falsehood. It's not loving your neighbor to flatter them. It's just giving them what they want to hear. So then, in conclusion, what are the severity and consequences Of this sin? Well, the sin of lying is severe, and its consequence is death. How bad is lying? We may not think it's all that bad. We may not think it's quite so bad as murder or adultery, but it's on the Ten Commandments just as much as they are. Where does lying come from? Originally, what was the first lie, and who was the first liar? It was the serpent in the Garden of Eden who lied to Eve and she ate the fruit and the result was death and what becomes of us when we lie we become like that serpent the devil so much so that Jesus calls him our father if we would rather stand in lies than stand in the truth recorded in John 8:44 Jesus, speaking to those who are falsely accusing him, says this, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And just to bring home the severity of lying, Let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, to see the final portion of all liars. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The law holds everyone accountable to God. Now some of you listening are perplexed. Because this does not sound like good news. It doesn't sound like a very Christian message to you. Spending all this time looking at the law. Looking at the old covenant, the old testament. And I am quite literally preaching fire and brimstone upon all liars. I am not giving you an out. All you who lie and gossip and slander and flatter, the devil is your father and the lake that burns with fire and sulfur is your portion. Not by my word, but by the word of the one that I am quoting from these last two passages. Not Moses from Mount Sinai, not some fiery prophet denouncing the evils of other people, but Jesus Christ calling out his own people, his own church. For you know, in John, he was speaking to the Pharisees, the leaders of his people Israel, and in Revelation, he was speaking directly to his churches. As I said, I'm not giving you an out. I'm not softening this command. Why? Why would I be so hard on you as to not soften this command even a little? Because one of God's designs in giving the law is to hold us accountable. In Romans 3:19, the Apostle Paul writes, "Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Because of the law, no one can stand before God and claim anything. We all put our hands on our mouths and give Him glory as the One who reigns and the One who makes the rules. And we have done nothing." That we can hold up as worthy of his goodness. So, what then? We are held accountable to God, and fire and brimstone seem to be ready to come down out of heaven as if we were Sodom and Gomorrah. But the purpose of stopping every mouth and holding everyone accountable is not so that God can burn us up and have it all on the record. Our mouths need to be stopped so that we would hear the good news. The Apostle Paul also writes in Galatians 3.22, Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Now, why would would that be the case? What's good news about that, about being imprisoned under sin? That seems like a terrible state to be in. Let me read the whole quote. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. If you cannot say amen to God's judgment from the law, you cannot say amen to his gospel. If you are not willing to approve of God's righteous judgment, you are not willing to believe his gospel. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ is held out to everyone. Everyone. But not everyone receives, because not everyone can say amen to the judgment of God. Can you say amen to God's judgment? Now, I'm not asking you whether you can make yourself feel bad or you can make yourself feel guilty when you sin. This isn't about making yourself feel bad. That's not a difficult trick to accomplish, Even your dog can give the guilty eyes when it knows you're mad at it. That's not the work of God and the miracle of the new birth. What saying amen to God's judgment entails is about agreeing with God when he says who you are and what you deserve. Not just admitting that you sin occasionally and really should work on it more. No, When you can say amen, when you hear God announcing the judgment, that you follow the devil in lying and you deserve the lake of fire. That is the amen. That the law condemns you. That you are held captive under your sin. And the good news is Jesus died for sinners. If you maintain in your heart, whatever your lips may say, if you maintain in your heart that you are not really the kind of sinner that needs Jesus to die for him, then you do not have Jesus. And you are still living in your sins. And so I'm pleading with you, do not deceive yourself with these lies of being enough on your own. Put away that falsehood. Put away your false pretenses of personal goodness let the scripture have its proper effect in holding you accountable, in stopping your mouth. Because if you put off the lie of personal goodness, of self-satisfaction, then you will be cleansed by the truth. Put away falsehood and be cleansed by the truth. Now, if instead you, having heard all that, Really hope that the floorboards would just swallow you up because in your heart you are know you know and you're telling yourself I'm a liar, I deserve the lake of fire, I can't fix this. Then hear this and hear it clearly. Jesus died for sinners. Don't ask yourself Do I have enough faith for Jesus to save me? Have I improved enough for Jesus to save me? Am I lying less today than I was a year ago? Some of you have been Christians, and I mean real Christians who love God and are living more and more pleasing to him. Some of you have been real Christians for most of your life, but you hear a message like this, and it makes you wonder if you're really saved at all. You make, it makes you wonder if God the Father really loves you. Because you hear the law, and the law does what it is supposed to do. It shows you that you're a sinner. And you're under this notion that you think, oh no, I'm a sinner. The law says I deserve death. And in my conscience, I also know the law is true. I do deserve death. And you may have felt underneath that condemnation for years. It may come and go, or it may be strong or weak, but you may still be living underneath this feeling of condemnation because you know you're a sinner, and you think that what being a Christian means is that you stop sinning, but that's not true. And some who hear this, I pray, have just begun to feel it, have just begun to feel guilt over their sin. But I say to you who have felt guilt for years, and you who have just begun to feel guilt by the Holy Spirit pricking your heart today, I say to you who can finally or fully or truly say, I'm a sinner. If you can say, I'm a sinner and I deserve death, I say to you this, Jesus died for sinners. I do not have any other good news. There is no other good news. There is only this gospel, the gospel of God, that Jesus died for sinners. And Jesus saves sinners. And if you're asking, how do I know if Jesus died for me? Answer this question. Are you a sinner? You qualify. Praise God. You qualify because Jesus saves sinners. This is the truth spoken by Jesus, who is the truth. He cleanses all those who are his from all unrighteousness. As John writes in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we do not have the ability to call ourselves sinners and to know it to be true and to know that the law condemns us, then we are deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sins, not only, as as this text says, not only does Jesus forgive us our sins, he cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, we have put away the only falsehood that could condemn us, the falsehood of believing we're doing it on our own, the falsehood of not trusting in Christ. When we confess our sins and rely upon Jesus for our salvation, We are saved, and he makes us new. As Paul writes in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, now notice this, it's past tense. It's actually perfect tense. It means it's happened and it still matters. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. That's the final piece of this. Now that Jesus has redeemed us, that the falsehood that we used to live in, we have put it away, Jesus has put it away in us. Now we are no longer children of the devil, the father of lies. We are children of the God and father of all truth. And we can speak the truth to one another. Not lies or gossip or slander or flattery, but truth. Grace and peace be to you in Jesus Christ. Amen.